Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and for your word that you recorded and wrote for us through different people. We ask, Father, that as we study it and entertain the different thoughts and ideas that it produces, that we would do so with respect for you, with an understanding of your holiness and your attributes together, reminding ourselves that it is your word and not just something that magically was written and preserved over the course of thousands of years and various different people. We're grateful, Father, for the way that you work. May we see that through our passage this evening and as we go from here to the different uh, overnight trips that we've got in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Our mini-series entitled Walk by Spirit. Now notice it doesn't say walk by the Spirit. That's because when we looked at the original language of the New Testament, as we do, we recognize that the definite article was not there, so it's walk by Spirit. And the difference in Koine Greek, in English it doesn't really make a huge difference, although it does carry out sort of the same effect. But in Koine Greek, if the writer didn't have the definite article in there, then he was trying purposefully to emphasize the characteristics about this noun or this word spirit. So what he's trying to do is bring to your thought process that you're supposed to walk by that which is characteristic of the spirit. So if we were to define spirit, we've got to do a couple things. First off, we've got to understand the human spirit and the Holy Spirit, the difference between the two. It goes back all the way to our original creation. We've looked at that. God created, us, created man originally in his design with body, soul, human spirit. The Holy Spirit communicates with the human spirit. The spiritual world interacts with the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. And the human world interacts with the soul. Now, when Adam and Eve fell, they died instantly spiritually, and they would then later die physically. And the soul, if left in its sinful state at that point, would go to the lake of fire for eternity. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. He says, unless you are born of water, physical birth, body and soul, and spirit, spiritual birth from above, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we have to be born spiritually from above after we're born physically now that the fall of man has occurred. Once we're born spiritually, now we have a choice to either walk by the spirit, by the human spirit led by the Holy Spirit, or walk by the flesh. And that's what we're looking at, those two ideas. Paul gives the command, he says, but I say, perform the action to go through the course of your life, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, by, the, by spirit. So walk spiritually. And he says to us, and this is important, there's, there's a few passages like this in scripture where it flat out tells us that sin can be stopped. And we think that's impossible and it's extremely improbable because we have choice and a flesh that wants to sin, that's why we do it. But look at what he says. Walk by spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Greek is a little more clear. The bold words, you will stop bringing to completion that which the flesh seduces you toward. And so when we looked at that, we identified that there's the spirit or spiritual walking and there's flesh or carnal walking. And that's what then in Galatians 5, 17 through about 21 or so, Paul identifies. He says that they are on different sides of the fence, but they're both the same type of thing. Not the same thing, but the same type of thing. They can both control and lead you. And at any given moment, one of them is. Right now, you are led by one of two things. The Spirit, you're walking spiritually under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, or you're led by the flesh, your body and your soul dictating to you where you go and what you do. 
we have this other component to us called free will. I was trying to explain this concept to my daughter last night. As she was going to bed, she asked me a question because I said, use your free will to choose to go to sleep. And she said, what's that? I said, what's what? Free will. I said, oh, no. It's time for bed. Not a theological discourse on the free will. So I explained as much as I could to her the idea. We have the flesh. We have spirit. And those things, if you've accepted Christ, that is. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, then you just have flesh. That's all you got. You've got to be born spiritually to have a human spirit, to have the Holy Spirit then indwell in you and able to saturate you to the point of control when you are obedient to him. You've got the flesh, you've got spirit for believers, but you've got this free will thing that basically acts as the light switch to turn the flesh on or the spirit on. And just like a light only has two options on or off, we are either on with the flesh or off with the flesh. And if we're off with the flesh, then we're on with the spirit. If we're on with the spirit, then we're off with the flesh. We illustrated that when we went through this passage by turning on the light switches, off and on, spirit, carnal, spirit, carnal. That got ties back in again to our first John study. We learned that when we walk in righteousness or walk in fellowship with God, we produce that which is righteous, and that's light. And so when we look at light and darkness, it corresponds to what we produce, and w- if we produce unrighteousness, that's from the flesh. If we produce righteousness, that's from the spirit. That's light. The other one's dark. And that's the idea. So we went through and identified the leadership component. We can be led by the spirit. We can be led by the flesh. We went through and then identified each of the deeds of the flesh. And we spent time looking at every single one of these bold words all the way through until we got to that phrase, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We identified here that the text, the Koine Greek text identifies to us that Paul is expressing the idea not to imitate those who are not inheritors of the kingdom of God. Remember, once we're saved, our sins are charged to Christ. So if we do any of these deeds of the flesh, who gets charged with them? Christ. He paid the penalty. Our sins, our Bible says, are imputed. means taken from us and given to him as if they were his to begin with. So even as a believer, when we go through and we do immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, decisions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, anything from the flesh, in other words, all of that is charged to Christ. All of that has been paid for by Christ for all those who have believed in him to be their Savior. And so when we do the action, it's charged to him. Here, Paul is telling the Galatian believers to stop imitating those who are not inheritors of the kingdom of God. And that's what we come to when we understand the original language of the Greek text in this passage. That takes us then to the fruit of the Spirit. Much happier discussion. We're going to go through these attributes real quickly again. I'm going to make a correction when we get to patience. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And 5.23 finishes and says, Against such things there is no law. Now last week, we began looking at these things. We identified love with self-sacrificial love that keeps on giving regardless of the response it receives. 
means that we continue to pursue what's best for another regardless of how they treat us, how someone else agrees with it or disagrees with it. It's unconditional. You don't have to have any reason other than the choice that you are going to do what's best for someone else. This is the same type of love that God has for us, which is why when we walk spiritually, it is produced in us. Now, there's a difference between a fruit and a deed. A deed is a, a work that you accomplish. And when we go back and look at verse 19 of Galatians 5, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. It says, These are the deeds of the flesh. When we get to Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit, different word, different focus. Fruit and deeds are different. The Spirit produces fruit. And the fruit has nine different attributes, but it's one fruit. How do I know that? Because in English, fruit can be singular or plural, but in Koine Greek, it has a different form if it's plural than it does if it's singular. And here it has the singular form. So he says, but the singular fruit of the Spirit, that, which, that one fruit that the Spirit produces consists of, it exists being these nine different things. And we thought the Trinity was hard to understand. Three things in one. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's nine in one. Somehow the Trinity seems to make a little more sense to us, doesn't it? Love. Self-sacrificial love that pursues what's best for another regardless of the response it receives from them. It's based on your choice and your character. It's based on who you are, not based on what they do. It also responds to the needs of the individual that you're loving self-sacrificially. Last week when we dealt with this one, we brought in the idea of romantic relationships, husbands in the future, young men when you get married to a wife, you are commanded by Scripture and therefore required by God to love her in this way. Future wives, when God brings you to the man he has created for you, you are not commanded by God to love him in this way. Sorry, guys, I wish it were true, but it's not. The wife is commanded to have a responsive love of devotion and reverence for the position of authority her husband has that takes care of his needs and supports him in his role. So it's a different type of love. It's a responsive love of respect, focusing on providing for the needs. Husbands, it's unconditional. Future husbands, it's unconditional. You have to choose to do what's best for her, regardless of what she says, what she does, whether you like the shirt she's wearing or whatever. doesn't matter. We move on then to joy. Joy is an inner happiness based upon recognizing what someone else has done for you. Now, if someone else has already done it, it's finished, you can always have that joy when you reflect back upon it. Think about your salvation, Christ on the cross. He is no longer there. He's no longer in the tomb. Because of him, we can have a relationship with God, and that produces inner happiness when we recognize that that's the reality we've got. It's already done. He's provided it for us, and in that we can have a relationship with him. Joy is an inner happiness that's the result of recognizing what someone else has done on your behalf. Peace. This is a stability in your thought process. It's inner tranquility based upon mental stability. Now, how are we stable in our thought process? If we're going to be stable in our thought process, we first and foremost and solely have to have the Word of God in our thought process. We can't look at this world 
look at what it produces, operate from its principles and what it teaches us, and expect to have stability. Our thought process, if it's led by the world, will not be stable. It will be molded and transformed and morphed to whatever the flavor of the day is. Baloney. All right, there you go. Now you're back awake. Still trying to figure out what spumoni is. It's fantastic. We get to number four, patience, which we dealt with last week. I'm going to make a correction here. Last week I confused patience with what's next on the list, self-control. Self-control is what I defined last week as patience. So this is a correction. If you have notes that you're taking, you'll want to strike out the definition from patience. Here it is for the real one. Patience is self-restraint in the face of pressure. From the Greek word for patience here, it's self-restraint in the face of pressure. It means that something is coming at you or putting pressure upon you, and instead of reacting to it, instead of lashing out at it, perhaps in anger or frustration, instead of choosing your, your own way through it rather than going to God in prayer and having him tell you what to do to get through it, you restrain yourself instead of all those things, and you're able to have that pressure come in at you, and it doesn't change how you operate. You restrain yourself from lashing out, from reacting, from going a route that you should not go with it. That is the definition for this word patience from the original language. Patience is self-restraint in the face of pressure. That pressure can be life circumstances, it can be a relationship, it can be uh, homework, it can be anything that puts pressure on you and makes you feel like you need to get out to do something to react in some way. The fruit of the Spirit is self-restraint in the face of pressure. Now that's going to be based ultimately on recognizing that God has given you all you need to get through whatever situation comes in front of you. We then move to kindness. Kindness is an attitude of graciousness towards others. An attitude of graciousness towards others. And again, we're not defining these from English, we're defining them from the Koine Greek word that's translated into kindness into our English. It's an attitude of graciousness towards others. Now, a gracious attitude is one that says, I will favor you without need for you to earn my favor, to pay me back for my favor, but I will prefer you, and I will take responsibility for you. It doesn't mean that you control their life. Ride lust patterns, that might have been how you understood that. It means that when a person or a friend fails in a relationship with you, that you say, I will take care of our relationship. I will maintain it. And I will have already forgiven you, and I will continue to operate towards you with favor. It's an attitude of graciousness. The word good news is a characteristic that is developed as a part of the fruit of the Spirit within you that is inherently valuable. It is based upon righteousness being produced in your integrity. So integrity is your conduct that's built and based off of your morals. Your morals is what are what you believe is right or wrong. 
Remember, we've dealt with the difference between morals and ethics before. And we identified that morals are what you personally believe, each person believes, is right or wrong. That's morals. Ethics is what a governing body believes is right or wrong. Now, ultimately, God is the ultimate governing body. So whatever he says is ethical or right, that should then be our moral as his children, as his believers. We have the law of the land, which has its own set of ethics, and it should match God's, but it does not. Why? Because God didn't make it, man did. So ethics goes back to a governing body that is an authority over someone or something. Morals goes back to an individual. Your own beliefs about what, are right, what is right or wrong. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we dealt with this, we looked at the whole idea of morals and norms and standards and that then identified as part of the transformation process, God's right and wrong should become your right and wrong. That develops in you integrity that is solidly built and has inherent value in your life. Goodness is a characteristic of the believer that is inherently valuable in its integrity. The next one we have is faithfulness. Faithfulness identifies that you continuously depend upon God and his word. It's interesting to note, there's momentum built up. When we walk by the flesh, and if you look back at your life and you can see those times where you sinned, there's patterns to it. Not just your lust pattern or your behavioral trend, but there's a pattern to the cycle. You sin, and then you get right with God, and you're right with God for a while, and then you sin, and you, you stay sinning for a while, and you get right with God again. And we, if we don't break that cycle, we just go back and forth. Faithfulness is when we continue to depend upon God because we're continuously following the Spirit. We cannot be faithful to God if we stop following the Spirit and start following the flesh. And so it, the more we spend time following the Spirit, the more dependent upon the Spirit we get. The more momentum we get built up. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It starts off small, and by the time it gets to the end of the hill, or the bottom of the hill, it's big. But if someone were to stop that snowball from rolling partially down the hill, it does not get bigger. And then it melts. <laughs> Unfortunately, snow melts. I hate that. Sorry. I know you guys are glad about that, but I don't like it personally. Anyway, moving on. Faithfulness is a characteristic of dependence upon God and his word that's based upon you being in fellowship and saturated to the point of control by God in obedience. When we break fellowship with God, not only does the fruit of the Spirit stop being produced in us, it starts to decay at that point until we get back in fellowship and then it starts to grow again. But we are become more and more dependent upon God the longer we let the fruit of the Spirit develop within us. That takes us to Galatians 5.23 where we have two other attributes. We have gentleness and we have self-control. Now gentleness is an attitude that takes into account that what a believer has is the result of God's grace as opposed to works. Gentleness is an attitude produced in the believer 
that recognizes that what the believer has is a result of God's grace, his unmerited favor, again, unearned, rather than a result of works. We do nothing to earn God's grace. Just like when we looked at the attribute of kindness, and we said it's an attitude or characteristic in the believer of graciousness towards others, God's character, which is no longer up on the whiteboard since we have vacation Bible school, but right here, we usually have the word love as one of the seven attributes of God. Grace is the result of unconditional love. From God's love, he gives grace. Now, God's grace, the greatest manifestation of it, perhaps, that we can see, is in him sending his son to die on the cross on our behalf. Our relationship was broken. God said, I will take the responsibility to repair it. To repair it, because he's also righteous, he could not just abolish the penalty for sin, He had to pay it. And so he sent his son to pay our obligation. Did we deserve it? No. Did we earn it? No. Can we pay it back? No. It's completely unmerited. There, it's not based upon any work that you've done as a reward for it. And that's what merit identifies. You get merit for an achievement that you've accomplished, and so you get honored for it. But God's grace is unmerited favor. It's an attitude he has of favor towards us that says, I will pay the responsibility, I will take responsibility for our relationship and pay your debt. Unearned, undeserved. Gentleness is the attitude that we have when, and it's developed in us when we recognize that everything that we have is a result of God's grace, not because we've earned it. That attitude is developed when we walk spiritually. And the more we walk spiritually, the more we begin to recognize all that God has given us. And it's not the physical things like a family, a house, a car, or whatever. It's not the stuff that we focus on. That's a part of it. But it's things like Christ. It's things like the 7,000 promises that are at least over 7,000 that are given to the believer in Christ. It's things like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The 1 John 1, 9 promise that if we confess our sin and tell him, yeah, I did that, that he will forgive us and cleanse us from everything else that was unrighteous we did as well. It's all of those things, as well as the physical things that we have, that are a result of his grace. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know. I had a summer job, and I worked hard, and I saved my money, and I bought myself a really cool thing car, I don't know. Put, put your variable in there. Cool thing, whatever that is to you. You go, I worked hard for that money. I earned it. You know, where'd the job come from? How did you hear about the job? What caused the person to say, yeah, you can do this? What I'm saying is there's more to it than just what we perform ourselves. Now, there's different aspects of God's will. His directive will, where he directly accomplishes something by telling someone to do something and they obey it. His permissive will, where he allows us to choose what we do. 
and is overruling will, which says, you've chosen something that I don't want for you, and I'm going to block that choice with circumstance so you don't get what you're trying to get. So he has his will involved there, but he has grace as well. The last one on our list is self-control. This is what I gave out as patience last week. I have a tendency to mix these two up, and I did not check it right before I said it. But self-control is the ability to abide underneath pressure and maintain your current state of mentality. It's an ability to abide under pressure. So patience was self-restraint in the face of pressure, not doing something about it. Self-control is the ability to abide under pressure. There's a difference, and there's a different aspect of each involved here. Let's say there is a bully at school. I hate picking bullies because, well, I kind of think, to be honest, the whole bullying concept is far overplayed today. But let's use it. Let's say there's a bully at school, large individual, picks on people for whatever reason, and today you are the target. And that individual sees you. You know they're coming for you. And instead of running, instead of calling for help, instead of launching a preemptive strike or attack, either verbally or physically, you restrain yourself. What do we call that? Patience. That goes back to self-restraint in the face of pressure. You know he's coming for you or she's coming for you. You know that problem is going to happen. But instead of doing something on your own, you hold yourself back. Now, I'm not saying don't run from a bully. I'm not saying don't protect yourself. I'm not saying any of that. Just a hypothetical situation. Don't hypothetically create other things. I am the one giving the hypothetical. Only what I've hypothesized. And I think that's actually a real word. If not, we'll bring it into existence. Sunday school, we created apostate. Makes sense. All right. Anyway, back to this hypothetical. The bully is coming for you. You restrain yourself to see what God wants you to do about the situation rather than doing something on your own, and the bully pushes you down and sits on you. Okay? Now you have a bully physically on top of you. They're not pummeling you or anything. No names. We don't want to hear about Jacob and his bulliness. <laughs> Josh is projecting. But the bully is sitting on top of you, and now instead of trying to squirm your way out instead of pinching them or pulling their leg hairs if they're guys, which is very successful if they're wearing shorts. <laughs> instead of doing something to get them off of you, you let them sit on top of you. Why would you ever do that? It's a hypothetical. I don't know. Because God hasn't told you what to do yet. You're, you're trusting the Spirit. The bull is sitting on top of you. And you're abiding in fellowship with God. You're trusting God to tell you what to do and when to do it and you're remaining under the pressure of that bully physically until God tells you what to do. It's a terrible example. <laughs> it's comical, but it's terrible. But you have the self-restraint idea. You have the abiding under pressure concept in, in that as well. Now, our flesh would probably say, beat him up or run, something like that. 
but the Spirit may work differently. The Spirit may want that bully on top of you so that you can find out why they're bullying people. Hey, what's going on in your life? Yeah, hey, what'd you eat today? You're kind of heavy. Why do you need my lunch money? No. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get off the hypothetical. The idea here is there's a difference between self-restraint in the face of pressure, and again, the focus of self-restraint is so that you let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do instead of doing something on your own. That's patience. The focus of self-control here, translated into self-control, which I really think they should be translated opposite, to be honest, Self-control really should be more of a long-suffering idea. It's the ability to be under pressure and continue to be under pressure over a course of time. And while you're under pressure, you're still doing what you would normally do if you weren't under pressure, following God. So those are the two differences there. So we've got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then we have this last little phrase, which gives us far more trouble than it really should. It says, against such things there is no law. And what it does now is it takes the law, the regulation over our behavior, and it's not the Mosaic law, it's regulation over behavior, not the law of Israel. It says that, that against the Spirit, there is no regulation over you. What's it saying? It's saying that regulation over you is there to control your behavior, but the Spirit is there to produce the fruit. And if you're operating by the Spirit then there's no regulation that is over you any longer. Why? Because the Spirit is. You don't have to follow the regulation because the Spirit is leading you in what's righteous every moment of that time. The instant you step out outside of fellowship, now you've gone out, out to the flesh, and now what? Now you've got these obligations over you, these regulations. Like, you've left fellowship with God. What's the regulation? Confess. Get back in fellowship. The regulation is you're commanded to walk in the dark, walk in the light with God, to have fellowship with Him. You're a child of God. There are bylaws and principles in the royal family of God that He has established so that we properly represent Him. When we're walking by the Spirit, that law isn't over us. Why? Because the Spirit is. And against that law and against the Spirit, the law doesn't have authority over the Spirit. The Spirit wrote the law. But the instant we step outside and control the Spirit, then the law is there to say, hey, you have violated the standard. Confess it. Get back under the leadership of the Spirit. So it says against or in opposition to such things, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no regulation. What it's also identifying to us is that these nine attributes of the fruit, they regulate our life. They define where we go, what we do. Each, each single attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, as a part of our character and integrity, maintains us spiritually. And so we have no need for regulation to do it, because we have no need for God's discipline because we're walking by spirit. We're walking in fellowship with him. We're walking in the light. And therefore, we have no need for, for discipline because we haven't left fellowship with God and walked in the darkness according to our flesh. It's simple for us as believers in God.
and specifically as believers in his son to be our personal savior. When we violate the standard, the law is over us, holding over us, saying you've broken the standard of God. You've sinned. Confess. And God will cleanse you from that sin and forgive you from it, as well as all the other unrighteousness you've accomplished since you chose to leave fellowship with him. We get back in fellowship. We start walking by spirit, letting the Holy Spirit and teach us God's word, and then using God's word as the tool by which we stay walking spiritually. And the fruit of the spirit is grown within us and changes us. That's a process. Starts with confessing our sin and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us. And in turn, obeying and depending upon the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. For its revelation into our life. For the Holy Spirit that you've dwelled within us. And placed there to seal us as a surety and a down payment on the inheritance of eternal life that is ours because we are in Christ Jesus. We ask, Father, as we've gone through these different attributes and the deeds of the flesh, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would reveal these things to us in our life so that we might see the deeds of the flesh that we're carrying out. But also, Father, that we would see what fruit you're producing within us as a result of us obeying you. Motivate us to obey you, to walk in fellowship with you. Protect us as we go to our overnight trips. Guide us in those as well as we learn about contentment. May we enjoy the time together. Come back refreshed tomorrow with a new understanding of our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.